This is Coffee, Books, and True Crime. Hey guys! Hey everyone! This is Nicole. And this is Amanda. And we are Coffee, Books, and True Crime. Today, we are going to talk about Dennis Nielsen. Dennis Nielsen is referred to as the Muswell Hill murderer or the kindly killer. He had 16 victims and he operated under the years 1978 to 1983. He is from London, England, and his method of of strangulation. (laughs) Sorry, I'm messing with you because I'm laughing that you said his... What did you say? His operation? (laughs) Yeah, his years of operation. (laughs) His years of operation. Okay, sorry. His method was ligature strangulation, and he would always choose students or homeless men whom he picked up in bars. He was sentenced to life imprisonment in November 1983. So as we typically do, we're going to talk a little bit about Dennis Nielsen's early life. So this case is actually based overseas so his early life Nielsen was born in Stryken Aberdeen Shire to a Scottish mother and a Norwegian father and some of his childhood background his father was apparently an alcoholic and his parents had divorced when he was four his mother remarried and sent her son to live with his grandparents and after a couple years he was sent back to his mother again so she started a new life and then was like okay I'm just gonna pawn you off to your grandparents so I can do my own thing. That is totally what it sounds like. So Dennis has provided some insight into what he believes to be the first traumatic event to occur in his life. Nielsen claimed that the first traumatic event to shape his life came about when he was a small child, when his beloved grandfather died. And I think, yes, that is traumatic, but how many of us have our grandparents pass away and don't end up killing people yeah i can literally remember telling my mom and dad don't worry grandpa's with jesus i just talked to him on the phone like yeah. i was i was very young like and i haven't killed yeah. anybody <laughs> that we know good <laughs> don't, good don't, to know <laughs> that we're that we're gonna admit on the podcast <laughs> So his strict Catholic mother insisted that he view the body before burial. Whether this incident or his mother and stepfather's lectures on the impurities of the flesh helped shape him, helped shape him into what he was to become, no one really knows. He was also involved in a series of superficial, uh, just really, it sounds like, uh, trans- transitory relationships with men, though they did not assuage his feelings of profound isolation and loneliness. So basically, you, I think you could compare like the way that he engaged in relationships or didn't stay in relationships very long. Kind of like Jeffrey Dahmer, he tended to seek out somebody that wouldn't leave. So basically a, a dead body. He almost seems like the, you know, London, England version of Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> yeah. From the backstory and I know we. Ways. <laughs> Right, and I know that we haven't disclosed yet just how many murders that this guy was responsible for, but I think it is going to shock you just how many 
he had committed. And we're going to go through each one of those in detail later on in the episode. Okay, so all his victims were students or homeless men who he picked up in bars and brought to his house either for sex or just for company. Which sounds exactly like Jeffrey Dahmer. Exactly! He strangled and drowned his victims during the night, waking up with little memory of what he had done. He used his butchering skills that he learned in the army to help him dispose of the bodies. Nielsen had access to a large garden and was able to burn many of the remains in a bonfire. Jeffrey Dahmer lived in an apartment complex, and so where is this guy out burning bodies? I mean, maybe he lives near people, maybe he doesn't, because it seems like this kind of thing you can at least hide for a certain amount of time. He actually, in 1981, had to move to an upstairs flat. So... Ah. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Yeah. As his murders continued, he found it difficult to dispose of the remains. Ah, yes. The The inconvenience of it all. He had suitcase full of human organs stored in a wardrobe. (laughs) I thought you said hormones. (laughs) Okay, well, now that we're done making fun of me, he had suitcases full of human organs stored in his wardrobe and plastic bags with human remains under the floorboards. Which, again, it's an upstairs flat. His poor neighbors. This literally is the overseas version of Jeffrey Dahmer. This is... It, it, it is. Yeah, exactly. It's almost uncanny. Like, history definitely repeats itself. Ugh. Okay, so neighbors had begun to notice the smell. When he tried to dispose of the bodies by flushing them down the toilet, he blocked the sewage of his house in northern London. When a company was called to unblock the sewer system, they first found the drain to be packed with a flesh-like Ugh. substance. Okay, that's nasty. The drain inspector then called his supervisor to assess the situation. However, this was not to take place until the next day, by which time the drain had been cleared. Oh, that's nasty. That is one of those things that just, not a lot, totally grosses me out, but that's pretty nasty. Oh, it's going to get better. This aroused the suspicions of the drain inspector and his supervisor, who immediately called the police. Upon closer inspection... Some small bones and what looked like chicken flesh was Ugh. found in a pipe leading off from the drain. These were later discovered to be of human origin. Oh my gosh. Ugh, that's so <laughs> gross. <laughs> Dennis Nielsen was arrested in 83 on suspicion of multiple murders. He apologized to the police for not being able to tell them the exact number he had killed. When his house was searched, they found three heads in a cupboard, and they found 13 more bodies in Nielsen's former place of residence. During the trial, Nielsen was cold and distant. Whoa. Whoa. Hold on. Wait a minute. So when the house was searched, okay, three heads in the cupboard. I don't know why I can kind of... Okay. All right. But 13 bodies were in his former place of residence? He just... Did he were these buried or did he just have them like laying around the house like I don't what happened this wasn't like this is all the information I got about it they found 13 bodies which I uh definitely pictured them just hanging out on the couch Uh, okay (laughs) during the trial Nielsen was cold and distant and seemed utterly unaffected by the fact that he had murdered 15 people he was sentenced to life in prison However, his minimum term was set at 25 years by the trial judge, but the home secretary later imposed a whole life tariff, which meant he would never be released. 
wait. The Home Secretary was stripped of his powers to set minimum terms so Nelson could be freed in 2008 because of the original 25-year minimum sentence. No. No. In 1993, he was given permission to give a televised interview from prison. Oh, well, is this guy, like, is he eligible to leave prison? He, he died in prison. Oh, okay. Sorry to have you spoil that, but I was ge- I was genuinely like, wait, please. And but they could have. But they they would have. Yeah, they would have been able to. Oh, how is that okay? It's it's not. Like, hello, um, system. Oh my gosh! Like, how could you kill this many people? And yeah, because we haven't even gotten into how many murders. So that's just wild to me that you could kill the amount he, of people that he did. And these were just the get ones out of prison he in could, 25 years. These are just the ones he could remember because he kept apologizing to the police. I'm sorry, I can't remember the exact people I killed. So there are 15 murders that he was able to remember. We're going to go through each of them with as much information as the police had. Murder number one. Nielsen's first murder took place on December 30th, 1978. He claimed to have met his first victim in a gay bar. He strangled him with a necktie until he was unconscious and then drowned him in a bucket of water. On January 12, 2006, it was announced that the victim had been identified as Stephen Dean Holmes, and he was only 14 at the time. He had been oh, on oh his way gosh. home. Yeah, 14. This is Dahmer. This is Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> He's not, the time frame isn't enough for him to be the reincarnated Dahmer, but it is like yeah. his twin. Holmes had been on his way home from a pop concert. So did he met his first victim in a gay bar. Is that like I wonder if that is legit? Like, well, was there a 14-year-old at the bar or was he at the bar and so. then left and saw the 14-year-old and then was on like, On his hey, way home. Yeah, I think that's it. what happened. Okay. And between the first and second murders, Nielsen attempted to murder a student from Hong Kong he had met in the West End. Although questioned by police, the student decided not to prosecute, so he was released without charge. Freaking kidding me. So, he could have been stopped after murder number one. Again, the police actually had contact with this guy. It is just like the Dahmer case. This is just wild. Mm-hmm. And I can't believe I've never I've never heard of this guy. This is just yeah, Me either. So murder number two, the second victim was a Canadian student named Kenneth Ockendon. During their sexual intercourse, Nielsen strangled him. Kenneth was one of the few murder victims who was actually reported as a missing person. Murder three, Martin Duffy was a 16-year-old homeless boy from Birkenhead. In May, he accepted Nielsen's invitation to come over to his place he was strangled and subsequently drowned in the kitchen sink. Murder number four. Billy Sutherland was a male prostitute from Scotland. Nielsen could not remember how he murdered Sutherland. However, it was later revealed that the victim had been strangled by someone using their bare hands. I mean, can we pause for just a second? Like, yes, he's strangling people over and over. But why? Like, how can he not remember how can he not remember? I mean, is he blacking out during this? And at that point, what is the satisfaction if he's blacking out during the whole process? Like, I, where is the gratification coming from? The only thing I can think of is going back to that, then he'll have the company afterwards. 
gross. Okay. The fifth victim was another male prostitute. However, this one was never identified. All that is known is that he was probably from the Philippines or Thailand. Murder number six. Nielsen could recall very little about this. Hmm, surprising. (laughs) And the following two victims. All that he could remember about number six was that he was a young Irish laborer and he had met in a bar. Murder seven. The seventh victim was what Nielsen described as a starving hippie type. He had been found sleeping in a doorway in Sharing Cross. And Nielsen could recall nothing at all about his eighth victim. So, for the ninth and tenth murders, both were young Scottish men picked up in the pubs in Sotho. It's really sad how many of these are not even, how many of these victims are not even identified. Named, yeah. Yeah. They're the just 11... numbers. They're yeah, just that's numbers all they to were. him. The 11th victim was a white supremacist Nielsen had picked up at Piccadilly Circus who had a tattoo around his neck saying, cut here. He had boasted to Nielsen how tough he was and how he liked to fight. However, once he was drunk, he proved no match for Nielsen, who hung his naked torso in his bedroom for 24 hours before he was buried under the floorboards. That is sadistic. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yuck. At some point between murders 6 and 11, on November 10, 1980, a potential victim of Nielsen's woke up while being strangled and was able to fend off his attacker. Although he called the police almost immediately after the attack, no action was taken by the officers, who, it is reported, considered the incident to be a domestic disagreement between two homosexual lovers. This is the second time the police could have stopped this guy. This is ridiculous. And I think it speaks to the time, so the 80s, and how they, it was a time period where homosexual LGBTQ issues were not taken seriously at all. And so, of course, there's a domestic dispute here, and that's all they they saw and just did not. But still, you should look into that. Ugh. But because Absolutely. they were homosexual, it's fine. That's that's the normal, right. apparently, according to those police officers, anyways. Okay, the twelfth victim, and the last before Nielsen moved back home, was a man called Malcolm Barlow. Nielsen found him in a doorway not far from his own home and took him in and called an ambulance for him. When Barlow was released the next day, he returned to Nielsen's home to thank him and was pleased to be invited in for a meal and a few drinks. He was murdered later that night. So after moving into a new house in Muswell Hill, Nielsen met a student in a bar in Soho and invited him back to his new home. The student awoke the next morning with little recollection. I can't speak. The student awoke the next... (laughs) Recollector? The student awoke the next morning because of some bruising that had appeared on his neck. The doctor revealed that it appeared as if the student had been strangled and advised him to go to the police. However, afraid of his sexual orientation being disclosed, the student decided not to. This was a survivor. So while these murders have been, so while these murders have been horrific, at least there have been a few that have made it out of the situation and did survive. It is just unfortunate that nobody would believe them and actually look into their, what they've been through. Yeah. And following this attempted murder, Nielsen had met a drag queen in a pub in Camden. After passing out from strangulation, he came to while Nielsen was trying to drown him in a bucket of cold water and managed to fight Nielsen off. 
So that's another survivor. Nielsen, I don't think, was very uh, strong. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe with all these survivors, like, and it just shows you how, like, I guess that stigma and how afraid they were to go. And then the ones that did go, not really taken seriously or not, uh, yeah. Murder number 13 was John Howlett. And he was the first to be murdered in Nielsen's Muswell Hill home. Howlett was one of the few who was able to fight back. However, Nielsen had taken a disliking to him and was determined that he should die. There was a tremendous struggle in which one point Howlett even tried to strangle Nielsen back. Howlett was eventually drowned, however, after having his head held underwater for five minutes. Howlett was the first body to be dismembered and the various body parts were either hidden around the house or flushed down the toilet. Mortar, mortar, murder 14. Graham Allen was another homeless man who met Nielsen in Shaftesbury Avenue. <laughs> 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 okay. After murdering him, Nielsen left Allen's body in the bath, unsure how to dispose of it. After three days, he was dismembered like Nielsen's previous victim. So murder number 15, the final victim that we know of, because, you know, Nielsen can't remember all the murders that he's committed. Murder number 15 was Nielsen's final victim, who was addicted to drugs, and his name was Stephen Sinclair. They met in Oxford Street, and Sinclair managed to scrounge a hamburger off of Nielsen, who then suggested that they go back to his place. I'm going to see where this is going. After dropping into an alcohol and heroin-fueled stupor, Sinclair was strangled and his body dismembered. It was Sinclair's dismembered remains in the drain outside Nielsen's home that first alerted police to Nielsen's murders. This guy is so messed up. I just don't understand why the police didn't see before that. And this next part that we're going to get into, Nielsen's actual death, almost makes you feel sorry for the man. But don't. (laughs) Yeah, not going to. I actually think this is the perfect justice for him. Yeah, let's hear about it. He spent his final hours in prison in excruciating pain, lying in his own filth as he suffered a ruptured abdominal aortic aneurysm. The killer's inquest heard about how he was found hunched over in pain in a cell on the morning of May 10th, but after healthcare assistants found his pulse and blood pressure were within normal range, he voluntarily returned to his cell. At about 5 p.m. that day, an ambulance was called after it was found that his condition had deteriorated. But a prison and probation ombudsman report found there was an unacceptable delay of about 40 minutes in calling the ambulance to the prison. Paramedics found that the prisoner had a pulsing abdominal mass, which was later found to be the ruptured abdominal aortic aneurysm and a high aspiration rate of 40, where a normal aspiration rate, like breathing rate, is between 16 and 20. The medical cause of death was given as a pulmonary embolism, which is a blood clot that goes to the lung, and retroperitoneal hemorrhage, which is a bleed linked to the ruptured aneurysm in his abdomen. I totally appreciate your uh, nurse skills (laughs) coming through right now, (laughs) because I read that and I was like, I have no idea what happened to this man. (laughs) Okay, so basically... He had a bunch of pain from a mass in his abdominal area. Like an aneurysm is 
normally like you think brain aneurysm, but this one was in the stomach mm-hmm. and well, in his abdomen, it didn't actually say exactly where, but the pulmonary embolism was a blood clot that's probably started in the leg and went straight to the lungs. And wow. then the the bleed was from the aneurysm. Ay, ay, ay. So, um, not that I don't think that maybe that was deserved. Anyways, so why was there an unacceptable delay of 40 minutes? I would like to know that. Was it because, he, I mean, I can't imagine it was because he didn't want the help. I wonder if the guards were like, eh. Yeah, it is it. what it is. Let's let's just wait it out, see if he gets better. That's what yes. I'd say it was. <laughs> Sorry your stomach hurts, sir, which, you know, good for them. <laughs> I would have probably done the same thing. Yeah, I'm being very opinionated right now. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and they may have been trying to find, you know, do we send this guy? Do we just, you know, let him wait it out? Do we just give him some Tylenol and tell him to suck it up? Yeah. Like, it could have been yeah. trying to figure out what they were supposed to do. Honestly, this was probably the best thing that could have happened because I couldn't imagine him getting out of prison because he served his, his appropriate 25-year sentence. So um, this was probably a good thing. Probably saved a lot of lives. It really it really probably did because he had no remorse. No. He was only sorry that he couldn't remember exactly how many people he killed. Yeah, which is interesting because he seems to be a... A numbers man to me just just like they aren't people they're you know yeah objects it's just decoration for his house uh, <laughs> i mean and he didn't even have them in like any kind of em- like embalming or anything like he just had them hanging out in his cupboards like that's so raunchy or just, you know, a torso hanging in his living room. It's fine. Ah, uh, you nasty. Could you imagine, like, that? No! You walk and buy that to go to the bathroom? That's nasty. It's like, you probably rubbed his belly for good luck, too. No! Uh, too far. <laughs> too far. His torso Buddha. That is awful. Okay. That's nasty. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I The resources we used was Murderpedia and Wikipedia to get more of the dates homered down. I normally don't like using Wikipedia, but it was necessary in this case because there's not a whole lot out there about him. Uh, yes, we'd like to send um, a shout out to uh, Jordan, um, who is one of our friends here locally for suggesting this case. Uh, this is one that we were not very familiar with and this has been very interesting so thank you jordan yes thank you jordan so much i didn't know that there was another dahmer out there (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) thanks for this terrifying information (laughs) all right guys thank you so much make sure you guys hop on over to our instagram our handle is coffee books and true crime let us know what you guys think we love hearing from you guys have a good one Bye. Bye. This is Coffee Books and True Crime.